0: Afternoons with Rob Brinkinridge, weekdays twelve thirty to three, seven seventy CHQR. Uh, joining us in studio, though, pleased to welcome to the program Doug Saunders. He's a feature columnist for the Globe and Mail, and we're talking about his new book, Maximum Canada: Why Thirty Five Million Canadians Are Not Enough. Doug, welcome to Calgary. Welcome to the show. A pleasure to be here. Thanks. Um, this and it's interesting because the book kind of comes out of this a couple of different ways. Um, why we're only 35 million, whether we could and should be much more than that. So let's start with the first question because, I mean, in the United States in a lot of ways, I guess, is somewhat older than us. But both big land masses, why is the United States 10 times the population as, as we are? How did we end up so small?
1: I find that a fascinating question because it's not usually we, – we sort of imagine – Canada's always been about attracting immigrants. We've always had them. Uh, everyone came from Europe, uh, and and uh, except the people who were here already. Uh, and in fact, if you look at Canadian history, uh, most of the first century of, of Canadian history, we were not a country that attracted people or kept people. We drove people away. Most decades, more people left for the United States from Canada than arrived as immigrants. Yeah. And th- that was partly because we had a set of policies that made it hard for people to stay, it was very hard to do business here. It was very hard to run a farm or a business, so on because we kept we kept trade with the United States closed. We we kept ties only with Britain. Uh, we insisted on bringing in people who only were farmers. We we wouldn't we didn't develop our own communities or, or or entrepreneurship or economies, and people found it hard to make any money. They, buying your farm equipment was expensive because uh, you had to pay tariffs from the states, and you couldn't sell the stuff you grew anywhere. And and people left. It, it's a big reason why, for example, the settlement of Alberta and Saskatchewan, when they tried it in the years around Confederation, it, it failed at first. It really took so well into the 20th century to get a significant number of people to stay here. And we want, partly I'm looking at it because we want to avoid those mistakes in the future. We want to avoid having sort of a closed, restricted Canada that makes people want to leave. I mean, Canada's
0: a cold country. I mean, obviously, uh, geography, climate's an issue. I mean, in the United States, you could have a million. People city on you know the northern border eastern border western southern wherever I mean Canada's kind of limited we're not going to have
1: cities of a million people up north, are we I don't think we, we want to talk about having a population like the United States of three hundred and fifty million people um, that said it's not all the weather i mean I mean those people who left Canada in those years they weren't going to somewhere warmer they were they were going to the Dak- Dakotas they were going to New England they're going to places with the same weather um, and you can talk about climate and so on, um, but I mean nobody's talking about uh, about opening up the border and having wide open immigration and, and re- turning Canada into a country with a, the size of of, of, a, of a third world country or something like that. And and most of the questions about population in Canada involve not having quite enough audience or quite enough uh, of a market in the right places or having quite enough density and cities or concentrations of people with the right expertise to get through the more tif- difficult years ahead and so on. So this is this is this is all talk about fairly modest changes to the existing uh, situation.
0: Because I think people look at population as a cost. The more people we have, the more that that costs us, right? But do, do we need to look at it as as
1: an opportunity? I mean, how how do we view it? We need to get past uh the sort of era of our grandparents' time when people who came to Canada were seen as units of labor to be plugged in, as as people to plug into factories and farms and so on. That's increasingly not true. Um, The newcomers to Canada, first of all, tend to be university-educated at about twice the rate of native-born Canadians, and they tend to be people who create employment rather than filling up employment. They're, they're, They're people who create new businesses and so on, and we want to make sure our children and grandchildren are also those people that, that as the world economy moves toward one that's more automated, more based on artificial intelligence, and so on, that Canada has the the density of people to be the country that doesn't fall victim to those forces, but that is is creating and exporting the automation and the art, artificial intelligence, and so on.
0: Well, what kind of rate are we growing at? I mean, how big is Canada going to be in say fifty years?
1: If we continued with, I mean, right now, Canada has modest levels of immigration. Uh, they're a tiny fraction of the levels we had in the early 20th century, but but manageable. Uh, and we have a fairly low birth rate. We have an average of something like 1.6 children per family, which is pretty normal for Western countries, but is, but is low by historical standards. And so our population is slowly growing entirely because of immigration. Um, and at the current rate, we would still be up to something like seventy eighty million by the end of this century. Okay. That's a significant thing because the world most countries in the world will have shrinking populations by then, even ones we think of as being fast growing populations like bangladesh and china and and places like that will be shrinking they'll be They'll be competing for immigrants by then. It's, uh, we'll enter an age that I kind of call peak people when when it's going to be tougher to get people to come to canada and 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 you have to offer more. People will always want to come to Canada because it's a nice place to live and has a high standard of living and has lots of people from where you came from and mm-hmm. all that, so it's it's not going to be some grotesque emergency. But we need to think about where we want to be what, before things start falling. And frankly, it's it's helpful to, to get into a policy mindset where we think about what if our population triples. Even, because even if it doesn't, the sort of investments up front, the sort of changes to infrastructure and, and, and to housing and things like that, that you need to make if the population was going to triple, those are things we ought to be doing now, even just, just for our own children and grandchildren, even if the population doesn't go up by much.
0: Right. Um, so, I mean, if it did, if, if our population did triple, does that mean Toronto would triple, Calgary would triple, or do we need to, to take a different approach to where, where people live?
1: It's very hard to control where people live, but we do know that uh, the next increase of population will not entirely be be in the places where it did. We tripled our population between 1945 and 2015 from about 12 million to 35 million. Um, And that was mostly in the the big five cities, five or six cities. Um, The next tripling, yes, those big cities will also increase in population. I think, frankly, most people in Calgary at this point recognize that that you could expand the population of Calgary quite a bit, and that it would help. The idea that the idea that uh, that a lot of the traffic congestion and crowding in Calgary are actually products of low population rather than high population that's that's not an, a very alien idea anymore. The fact that you get you're stuck in traffic is because there aren't quite enough people living here to pay for really fast, rapid transit lines to take the load off it. That's that's something people recognize. Um, Vancouver and Toronto might have a harder time seeing themselves doubling or tripling. The fact is, the places that stand to benefit the most in such a scenario are the medium sized cities that have universities or colleges in them. Places like Lethbridge or uh, Moncton or Kitchener, Waterloo or Hamilton mm-hmm. in Ontario, uh, uh, those sort of second tier cities that have lower cost housing, mainly because they're in sort of a post industrial phase. That would like to have a better taxpayer base because they have an aging population, but have a university or something that that's going to become a center for economic activity. Those will grow. Those will grow a lot. And I think, frankly, because of housing prices, uh, we'll see a shift in population to to other centers that that, that will grow yeah. larger. In terms of the immigration question,
0: right? Because we're, we're not the melting pot that the United States is. So, you know, certainly Canada is a div- diverse country, but are, are we? Uh, a united country, and if we're going to substantially increase immigration, are, are those newcomers to Canada, are they integrating into Canadian society? Are we still cohesive as a society at that point?
1: We have to be careful and and have and have a careful and controlled immigration policy that builds on existing communities and existing bases of people. I mean, we have learned during the last 50 or 60 years that people who come from a place where they don't speak English or French actually... If not them, then their children are very good at becoming very Canadian in their values and outlook, and, mm-hmm. and even their accent. You know, you 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 go to Fort Mac, and you get you see people from the from the Ivory Coast or from or from Vietnam who who have Bob and Doug accents and right. that sort yeah. of thing. So so we have learned that that if you build people into existing existing economically successful communities, if people if people integrate economically in jobs and educationally, then they become as Canadian as anyone. But we don't want to have a situation where people get stuck in sort of ghettos. They get stuck in neighborhoods right. where there's no economic opportunity, where there's only people like them and where they're isolated from everyone else. That's a recipe for intergenerational poverty, for failed integration, all those things. And, and so it's not really a matter so much of, of absolute numbers as making sure we have the investments to make sure that people are connected to jobs, people are connected in, in transportation, uh, that the schools work right, that what worked during the last 60 years will continue to work during the next 80.
0: So this, this isn't so much a case of government getting out of the way, but, I mean, this, this seems like a call for some
1: very deliberate planning and execution on the policy side. There's a lot of investments that need to be made in Canada. Um, and it's better to look at our next period of population growth, which which will probably happen regardless what policies we have, as one that we we should do the spending up front for it later rather than having to pay the price later down the road we've generally had policies of population growth in canada where we just let people in and then we discover oh we actually need another highway we need we need five more schools we need uh these things and 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 it comes after the fact or this this neighborhood has turned into a troubled place we need to we need to increase the density of housing or we need to in- add a subway station or something like that it's better to plan ahead of things happening than, than after things happening. It doesn't all have to be public expenditure or government. Um, a lot of these things have to do with creating areas of economic activity that generate revenue. A large part of Canada's population growth can be dealt with through family policy by recognizing that Canadians actually want to have more children per family than they do right now. The yeah. average couple wants to have 2.4 children. We end up having 1.6 the reason why for 70% of couples is finances, childcare is too expensive, adding another room on the house is too expensive. Um, we know from the Quebec example that having a child care program that's, that reduces the cost of $10 a day or something, it that actually increases the average family size in the population enough and allows enough women to enter the workforce that their income tax actually pays for the whole program. So a large part of it and not only that i think a lot of canadians would be happier to see policies that let them have the number of children they'd like to have yeah. than to deal with it strictly through immigration putting putting a, a little bit of the investment in, and and load on on existing families rather than newcomer families i think would make would make any population growth scenario like, the, like governments are considering these days a lot more politically palatable to people.
0: Really interesting. Well, the book is called Maximum Canada. Uh, Doug Saunders, thanks so much for coming in here today. Really a real appreciate it. real pleasure. That. Thank you. All right. Uh, that is Doug Saunders. He's a feature columnist for The Globe and Mail. His new book is called Maximum Canada. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.